Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Karolinski, and this is Young History, episode 63 on Armenia. The capital of this country is Yerevan, and a few things about this country is that the country is called Hayek in Armenian. It is actually named after the original hero who is the original ancestor of the Armenians that live there today. And the name Armenian, which we say in English because Hayek is the name in Armenian, and in English we call the country Armenia. The name Armenian is derived from the word Aramanak, which is the name of Hike's first son. And there is actually evidence that the very first shoes were used around this area because the oldest shoe that we've ever found through archaeological research was actually found in Armenia, the oldest shoe ever. Um, the people here are also very incredible at chess. 24 of the current grandmasters in the world are of Armenian descent, and chess is actually a compulsory subject that is taught to children in school. Um, it gives them a lot of different skills when it comes to strategy, stress management, things of that sort. That's why it was pushed so much in Armenia, and then it leads to them, some of them becoming incredible chess players professionally. And Armenian lavash bread is such a staple of the cuisine here. It's literally served with almost every meal that it is literally marked on the UNESCO World Heritage Cultural Intangibles list, literally as a piece of bread. So just goes to show you how important it is to them. And that was just some facts I wanted to throw out there for you guys to kind of have and digest while we get ready to get into this history. And I'm not going to dilly-dally too much longer. I have some friends of Armenian descent, and there's a lot of history here to cover. And on top of it, there's a lot of history that needs to be acknowledged so that people are educated about what has happened here. So we're going to get right into it. So thank you guys so much for being here one more time. My name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and this is Armenia. Let's do this thing. Our origins begin in the Neolithic area, where Stone Age structures were placed here for people to live in. People used stone tools to hunt and gather in the area, and people of Caucasus Mountain descent lived here for a very, very long time. Some of the major people groups that were first to inhabit here would be the Hittites, the Mitanni, and the Urartu. They are the ancestors of modern Armenians, and they spent time here throughout different centuries BCE at different points. The Urartu was the first major civilization of the land that was very, very great at building and was able to defend itself and its kingdom from the Assyrians. It actually was able to grow despite being attacked constantly by the Assyrians for a long time because of how fast they were at building up and building defenses. A man named St. Moses Korintasi was a historian that believes that the hero named Haik was the founder of Armenia. And this man was said to be the son of Japheth from the Bible, which means he was the grandson of Noah, who led Noah's Ark in the Bible. Speaking of, Mount Arat sits in view of the capital city and is claimed widely to be the location that Noah's Ark landed within the story of the Bible, and it is said that Noah actually planted grapes here when he landed, and evidence for this, that it could be true, is that the oldest wine press in the entire world is in Armenia. The Urartu kingdom was weakened against the Assyrians after constant attacks over many centuries, and that led to the Median Empire from Iran taking over in 585. Then, Achaemenid Persia was the next to take over and made Armenia a satrapy, and the Zoroastrian religion became the national religion of this land. The word Armenian is first used here when referenced by King Darius when he said that he had to put down a rebellion in Armenia. The land was internally ruled by the Orontid dynasty that had been in power for centuries through ethnic claims and then establishing kind of like a hegemony over the government within 
Armenia, and they established ties with the Achaemenid Persians so that despite the greatest ruler of the land being the Achaemenid Persians, the person who controlled it regionally and kind of in a domestic way was the Arontid family. Alexander the Great took over and made the land part of the Macedonian Empire as a satrapy, and then it would be internally ruled once again by the Arontid family because they were really good at negotiating and it helped keep stability within the land so that Alexander and the other Macedonians didn't have to worry about them rising up at least as much. Rome would come in the year 190 BC and defeat the now Seleucid Empire, and the Armenians fought for their freedom. Under Artaxius I, the Kingdom of Armenia was established alongside a man named Zariadris, who had a smaller Armenian satrapy to the west, and this was done by overthrowing the Seleucids who were in power because Rome actually, despite defeating the Seleucid Empire, didn't take over this land of Armenia quite yet. So both these people, the ones led by Artaxius and the ones by, led by Zeriadris, both claim to be descendants from the Arontid dynasty to establish more legitimacy to their rule. And connection to Persia made a lot of crossover of deities within the Armenian religions. There were so many different influences coming in from the Greeks, the Romans, old Armenia, and Persia, that a lot of the gods that were worshipped by Armenia could be seen in Rome, could be seen in Greece, and then a lot of them could be seen in Persian beliefs. And the dynasty that was left behind by Artaxias and Zeriadris actually reigned for two centuries. The peak of the Kingdom of Armenia came under the rule of Tigranes the Great, who united all Armenians under one banner, and led to the conquering of Syria and parts of Persia. He led many beautification projects and led the borders of Armenia getting to the largest point they had ever been. Rome returned, and Pompey the Great gave defeat to Tigran and actually left him in power of the original lands of Armenia that the Arontids were ruling, but actually took all of the land that was Syrian and Persian back from Armenia and put it underneath the rule of Rome because Rome wanted access to all the either seaports or roads that these lands held. Rome actually helped a man named Zeno Artaxius take the throne of Armenia underneath the rule of the empire. While this was happening, there were negotiations made with the, the Sassanid Empire, and the leader of this empire was able to install his son, Hormzid, onto the Armenian throne for a time. And following this, Thaddeus and Bartholomew, who were two Christian missionaries, came to the land in the first century to spread Christianity. The religion was resisted at first, and Christians were actually persecuted for a long time. But King Teradates III converted to Christianity, and then in the year 301 CE, Christianity was officially accepted as the national religion, and that made Armenia the first country in the world to accept Christianity as its religion, which is insane because Christianity now spreads across billions of people across the entire world today. After this happened, they built Echmiadzin, which is the oldest cathedral in the world by some people's calculations. But despite this, the strength of Persian culture stayed strong, and many depictions of Zoroastrianism still kept its influence even while Christians were in power, and these kind of depictions came up a lot within Christian art and Christian writing. Armenian national identity was soundly created by Mershap Mashats, who was a scholar that wrote the Armenian alphabet with the help of a few other major scholars. Following this, a golden age of Armenian literature and art began. But this wouldn't last long, as Sassanid Persia and Byzantium actually would split jurisdiction of Armenia in the year 387 CE. While the country was split by Byzantium and Persia, many Armenians worked well with the Byzantines and became high-ranking officials of the government and military. 
but this only lasted until the Umayyad Caliphate took over in the land in the early 700s. And then in the 800s, Ashat I kicked the Arabs out of Armenia and restored the Armenian kingdom, which would then find its new peak, the biggest peak since Tigran, under Ashat III, where the land was expanded as far as it could and cultural roots were made even more deep. Then after some of this expelling happened and changes occurred, Byzantium returned in 1045 and took over Armenia once again. The Seljuk Turks came into the land in 1071 and took over Armenia from the Byzantines, and this led to many Armenians fleeing their homeland. They did not want to be ruled by the Seljuk Turks. There had already been history there, and there was fear of things changing under the Turks since they were from a different region than Byzantium. They felt that things would be very different than they had been before. Many people fled to areas north of Armenia, such as Russia, and then out into the Levant region and beyond that. Mongols invaded in the 1200s and forced Armenia to become a tributary vassal of the empire throughout the 1200s. Turks and Persians fought over the land of Armenia a lot, and they brought lots of death and destruction into the land for a very long time. There were many treaties signed to establish real borders between the nations, but they were always established for only a short period of time and then broken by more fighting, which would, as I said, continue for centuries. And Armenians were under the sword of these two powerful nations for a very long time, but they just doubled down on their faith, they never gave up their Christianity, and they tried to push through until things would start to change. And things would change when in the 1800s, Russia started to march into the Caucasus to take over different parts of the land, and in 1828, they took over eastern Armenia. Russian rule brought new opportunities to Armenians to move back into their homeland, from which they were replaced when the Seljuk Turks and other foreign powers invaded. They felt like they could relate more with Russia and come back to their home because Russia encouraged them to and said that it would, they would be fine and that Armenians would be able to have their culture and all that underneath the Russian rule. Many middle-class Armenians actually ascended their societal class because of the economic changes brought by Russia, or the ones that left Armenia or were descendants of people who left Armenia came back to Armenia with a lot more money because of the opportunities they found outside of Armenia. The Turkish did not like this at all. They hated the fact that so many Christian Armenians were prospering while the empire was starting to wither. The Ottoman Empire was really starting to fall apart in the late 1800s, and it was starting to get that title that we called the Ottoman Empire right around World War I, which was like the old man of Europe and the old man of the East, where it is no longer that strong empire. It is starting to be weaker and weaker and falling apart. And the Sultan, Abdul Hamid II, actually sanctioned the massacre of Armenians by the Kurds and other people groups. Armenians fought back, but were faced with the Hamidian massacres from 1894 to 1896, and they had thousands of Armenians, Greeks, and Assyrians executed across the empire. So across these people groups, this led to the death of around 300,000 people, and thousands of Armenians would migrate out of the country, especially to the United States and Russia. Things would not get easier, as the young Turks would actually overthrow Hamid and take over power. They wanted to westernize the struggling empire, but they would not benefit the people of Armenia. And then the little bit of democracy and hope for westernization and change that came under the Young Turks did not last long as Enver Pasha ended up becoming the Turkish minister of war. And he led a failed attempt to invade Russia in 1914. And he instantly and falsely blamed this failure on the Armenians. He accused them of colluding with Russia. And despite the Armenians not even remotely being involved, jihad was actually initiated against the Christians here. And this began the Armenian genocide. 
The Armenian genocide lasted from 1915 to 1923. Turkish officials ordered the execution, shooting, starving, and death marches of Armenian people into the Syrian desert. This specifically targeted women, children, the elderly, and sick people. And by 1923, somewhere between 1 million and 1.5 million Armenians were killed or deported from their country. And to this day, people that are descendants of those that survived it survived this genocide are still struggling the trauma has become generational the struggles that came from having over half your population wiped out or forced out of the country is still felt here today and even to this day the turkish government does not recognize this as a genocide or even really acknowledge that the event occurred they say that there was fighting in the caucuses they say that it was part of the war they were fighting in world war one they have a lot and lot a lot of excuses for them committing a genocide so the equivalent of this would be if germany claimed that the holocaust never happened and that is what turkey has done and stood their ground on for the past century so because of that, tensions are very high between Armenia and Turkey to this day, no matter how much negotiations have gone back and forth between the two, until a Turkish government comes into power, which can acknowledge this genocide, acknowledge the fact that millions of people were killed by the Ottoman Empire under Turkish rule, that Armenia is never going to look at them other than the monsters they are. And that is why on April 24th every year, Armenian Genocide Remembrance Day is observed across the nation. The Armenian nation was actually formed for a bit after World War I. It was formed in 1918, but lasted for only two years because it was taken over by Soviet Russia in 1920. Stalinist policies ravaged the Armenian communities for decades as people were sent to the gulag for any sort of resistance. People were shot in the streets. The secret police infiltrated people's homes and invaded their privacy. And it wasn't until things shifted under the rule of Gorbachev that they started to get a little bit better. And as Gorbachev came in and new changes came, as well as much more reforms than you would expect to see because Stalin was the one who gave nobody any rights unless they were ethnically Russian. Even ethnic Russians still had to face the eyes of the secret police and the threat of being sent to the gulag. But Gorbachev takes power, things start to shift, and the move for independence is made in 1990 self-government is actually established within Armenia, and then by 1991, full independence comes. Tensions quickly rose between Armenia and Azerbaijan because of the Nagaro-Karabakh region that is ethnically Armenian and it is an enclave within Azerbaijan. And I'm going to take a sec just to break it up for a sec. Of course, on independence, the flag of Armenia was flown. It is the same one they use today. And that flag has three colors, red, blue, and orange. The red represents the constant struggle for survival, the preservation of independence, the perseverance of Christianity, and the highlands of the country. But it also represents the blood of the million Armenians that were murdered in the Armenian genocide. The blue represents the hope of the people to live under clear blue skies from which God blesses them with, and the orange represents the hardworking and creative nature of the Armenians, as well as the apricot, which is the national fruit. To bounce back to the sadder reality, after this conflict started to rise up with Azerbaijan, the start of the Nagaro-Karabakh War began in 1988 as tensions really started to rise. The fighting lasted from 1988 till 1994, and Armenia would eventually win this war. A total of 30,000 casualties happened. But despite the Nagaro-Karabakh region being within Azerbaijan, it was actually re released by the Azeri people to Armenia in an unofficial way because the area is 94% ethnically Armenian and the people within there want to be independent or at least united with Armenia. And since this war, there has been a lot of tension between these two people groups, the 
Azerbaijan government and the Armenian government, as well as greater relations with Russia and Turkey. And there's current issues where Armenia claims a lot of the land that leads up to this Nagorno-Karabakh region. And that leads us to a lot of political trouble, where Armenia has had free elections since independence, but the issues of making ties with Europe or Russia, or the disputes between Turkey and Azerbaijan, have made any presidential reign be very debatable, be very controversial, because nobody is happy on both sides. Everyone wants something different, and there's such tension on both sides that if you side with Russia against Azerbaijan, or side with the West against anyone who tries to challenge you. It's very, very tough for Armenia, but they have recently leaned very much into Russia and the former connection they had as a Soviet satellite state. There was a peaceful protest in 2018 that was called the Velvet Revolution that saw many Armenians gather under a member of parliament to try and get the president, Ser Sarkisyan, to step down because he had been ruling since the early 2000s, and under him there had been a lot of economic strife and then the wars with Azerbaijan and Turkey have always been looming under him. So people very much pushed for him to be forced out of office, and he eventually did step down. Azerbaijan has invaded this country twice since 2020, so that it could test the defense pact that was signed with Russia. Very similar to the kind of NATO will come to your defense agreement that Western Europe has, Russia has a similar one, and one of the people that has signed it with them is the country of Armenia. And twice now, once in 2020 and once in 2022, Azerbaijan has been the aggressor against Armenia, and Russia has not come to defend them. So this issue seems to be really, really tense right now because Azerbaijan clearly sees that if they fight Armenia, they may not only be fighting an unsupported Armenia, but they may also get support from Turkey, which is on the western side of Armenia and has nothing but disdain for the country because of the Armenian genocide and the back-and-forth conflicts these two have had. So right now the issue of this war is very tense. The situation with Turkey is very tense. It's all very, very, very tense, but Armenia is trying its best. So that pretty much gets us to the present day, where Armenia has faced a lot of corrupt politicians since independence, but its people have tried very hard to make their home a better one, despite the atrocities they have faced, even recently, with people being killed in the wars with Azerbaijan or by invasions. And Armenia is trying its best to push forward. They're trying to have cleaner elections, trying to put people in power that will solve these things. They're trying to make alliances with larger European powers and Russia and anything they can do to get by. But Armenia is in one of the tightest spots in the world geographically, it being so close to both the Middle East and Russia. And then two enemies of them, which being which is Turkey and Azerbaijan. It's very, very tense right now. I know I've said tense a million times, but it's just the truth. It's a very tense situation, and Armenia does not have a direct way out, but economically it is starting to curve on the incline up, and hopefully that stays true with the next few elections. And another thing about Armenia right now is actually one of the only mono-ethnic countries in the world where 97% of the population, 97%, is ethnically Armenian, which is sickeningly high because... Especially as an American, I can't even like think of an ethnicity that like describes my country off the top of the bat, off the top of my head. But even other countries in the world don't have a, a number that's that high. So this is ridiculous how Armenian Armenia is. And with that, that pretty much gets us to the end, where I always have to leave it with a kind of takeaway or lesson. And with Armenia, that is, do not ever accept the abuse others will thrust upon you. And do whatever you can from receiving that abuse to heal from it and push on. That was long-winded, but I will be very concise in the way I say this. Armenia has faced for over a century and for centuries attacks, invasions, genocides, murder, hate, and 
discrimination from the people around them, from the nations around them, from the Turkish, from the Russians, and then even a little bit from the Azeri and in the West, the Europeans. Despite this, despite the fact that they've lost over half their population, despite the fact that historically Armenians have been forced out of Armenia, despite all of these things, Armenia is still a country that is going through daily processes to get better elections, a better country, better infrastructure, better economy, and better safety for their people within the borders of their country. They could have very easily accepted life as just an extension of Russia as a republic. They could have accepted life under the Ottoman heel and once the Ottoman Empire fell, became part of Turkey. They could have very well let Azerbaijan win the war against them. They could have very well not made any work to try and continue to save themselves from the issues they've had, from the terrible things that have happened to them from the genocides. But they have not. They have not given up. They have not bent the knee. They have not said that one country is their overlord. They have not put all their eggs in one basket. They have tried every single day since the Armenian Genocide and from centuries before to become a better country and one that will not be under the heel of anyone else unless Armenians are seen as a free people within their own border. You can apply that to your life because there is guaranteed to be people that will try and hurt you. It will either be terrible partners that will either emotionally or physically abuse you. It could be people that literally have quote-unquote power over you, such as bosses or professors or people who lead organizations you're in. And it could even be the random things in the street where people try and take things from you, rob you, whatever. You will face struggle. You will face people who are evil in this world. You will face people who will try their best to hurt you and will try and take things from you and try and scare you into submission. You cannot bend down to that. And this is going to come off preachy and blah, blah, blah. But it's the truth is that people will try their best to take advantage of you and will try and use any advantage they have over you to, to put fear into you so that you give them what they want. Don't give it to them. And then if there was a point where you feel like you truly had no choice and you gave in, that does not need to be the narrative you live by for the rest of your life. If you fucked up somewhere along the way and people pushed you into a corner and you gave in to them and you gave in to what someone else wanted or you gave it to a struggle or issue someone else was trying to push on you, do not feel bad for yourself. Do not feel bad about the decision you made because it was the right decision at the time because it was the best you could have done. But now you can be even better. You could stand up to people that are trying to screw with you. You could stand up to your boss. You could stand up to your partner. You could leave your partner. You could change your life for the better if you refuse to accept bad treatment from anyone in the world. doesn't matter if that is a partner. It doesn't matter who that is. So stand up for yourself and look at Armenia and think about this. If a group of people who has a small population and very little power and very little economy and very small military is able to stand up to at the time being the Ottoman Empire, one of the strongest nations in the world, stand up to Russia when they try and bully them, stand up to Azerbaijan, who's their next-door neighbor, stand up to all of these, I promise you that you could stand up to whatever boss, whatever boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, or person on the street is being awful to you. Stand up for yourself, fight for what you believe, and make sure that you are not being taken advantage of or pushed into the corner. So, that was that. It was long-winded, and it's because nothing makes me more mad historically than seeing terrible things be swept under the rug the way this genocide was, and then seeing how a country recovers really shows who they are. And Armenia, much like many of the other nations in the world that have faced a genocide or anything of the sort, are pushing forward and showing how strong their people are. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up and say thank you all so much for being here. And one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and that was Armenia. You guys have a great day. <laughs>